I'm continuing a series on the book of Romans. We'll be talking about Romans chapter 6, 7, a little bit of 8 in just a moment. Before I open the word, let me share something humorous. A new pastor moved into town, and on a Saturday he went to visit a lot of his church members. Everything was going well until he came to one house. It was obvious to him that someone was home. The light was on, he could hear music playing, and he knocked several times, but no one ever answered. Finally, he took out a business card and wrote on the back, Revelation 3.20, then slid it into the door. Revelation 3.20 reads, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with them and they with me. Later in the week, he and the elders were counting the offering. He found his business card back in the offering plate. It had this message written before, uh, written on it, Genesis 3.10. Reaching for his Bible, he checked the verse. Genesis 3.10 reads, And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. (laughs) Today today we're going to do some wonderful examination of the great grace that God's given us in Christ and all that God has for us. The 8th chapter, I'm going to come back to this in closing, but 8th chapter of Romans, verse 1 says this, There is therefore now presently to those that are in Christ, the present truth for every believer is this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The moment you came to Christ, every guilty verdict of sin was erased. You were pardoned. It was, it was erased from your record, and there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. The guilty verdict has been changed. And the devil is a liar when he tries to condemn you, when he tries to overwhelm you with guilt or shame. Verse 2 says this of Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life, such a great sentence, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So Paul talked about three laws in these chapters, the law of sin and death, which we all were born into in Adam. So all of us were born sinners, and we were born governed by the sinful nature, the fallen nature, the fleshly nature. The second law was the law of God given to Moses, given in the Old Covenant, the the holy, perfect, righteous commandments of God. And the third law to Christ was the law of the spirit of life. And he's going to talk about these three laws and how believers through Christ have the authority to live in victory in every area of their life. The devil cannot stop you from the purpose God has for you. The devil can't steal the identity God's given you in Christ. God's given you the gift of righteousness. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. You received it as a gift of grace from God. And that that grace is so powerful, it transforms our identity and it really changes our behavior. In chapter 6 of the book of Romans, Paul teaches about the first few verses he talks about Uh, being crucified with Christ, and the the great blessings we have in uh, water baptism. Verse 11 says this, Likewise, you reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he said this, he he said, just like water baptism, we identify with the death and burial of Christ, and we're raised up in newness of life. The moment you received Christ, your sinful past was reckoned dead. 
the power of sin to control you was buried. And you are no longer a prisoner of your flesh or of your, uh, your, your natural appetites and temptations. You are now a child of God. The next verse says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your physical body, that you should obey it in its lusts. So sin no longer has the rulership because Christ displaced it as my Lord. Do not present yourselves, your members, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So the moment I came to Christ, the dominion of sin to control my behavior was broken. Now all of us are in the journey of overcoming various things in our life, but in Christ you can win this, this battle. You can overcome no matter what it is. Never believe there's a behavior in never believe that there's a sinful behavior in your life that you can't change. We repent of it. We, we acknowledge it, and when we repent of it, God graces us to overcome it. Ah, isn't that good? Sin no longer has dominion over us. Religion teaches that righteousness can be achieved by our works. So in every kind of religious system, there's a hierarchy given to people according to behavior. And the better your behavior, the better your righteousness with God. If, if you're good enough, you can make it to heaven kind of thing. And that's not just in Christianity, but in many of the world's religions. But grace teaches us that righteousness is received as a gift through Christ. So I don't, I don't earn righteousness. I receive it from God. And man, that's a mind blower. It's hard on People that are self-righteous or people that are moral and think that they're good enough, it's hard for them to believe that their own achievements aren't good enough. But there's none righteous. We read it last week. No, not one. Chapter 4. There's not one person good enough. There's not one person that kept the entirety of the law and satisfied its requirements. The law is perfect. It's holy. It's from God. But no one was able to reach God or obtain holiness through it. It wasn't meant for that. Religion teaches that repentance demands you change. If you change, God will receive you. Okay? So, so re religion talks about the discipline of changed behavior through your flesh. But grace teaches that repentance is trusting God to change you. I repent of my sin and I acknowledge I'm not strong enough to change. Help me, Holy Spirit. It's amazing what God can do with a person who's willing to admit their weakness and cry out for grace and let God take over. Okay. Religion wants you to trust your flesh. God wants you to trust His grace. Okay. God wants you to trust His grace. Oh, oh, there's a famous verse in this chapter. It closes with this. I've, I've used this a thousand times in altar calls. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. So sin, the law of sin and death are yoked together. The wages, the payoff, the culmination, the consequence of sin is death. Spiritual death. Death of everything. But the gift of God. The, the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift we receive, not 
a, a reward we earn, we achieve, okay? Chapter 7, the first verse is Paul's going to liken um, someone trying to please God to a marriage. And he said, um, God, the, the way that we're separated from marriage is when someone dies. So the scriptural way for a, a, a marriage separation is when one of the spouses dies. And, and so Paul says, when we died with Christ, the grip of the law was broken from, free from us. And we're no longer a prisoner to try to keep something we couldn't keep without grace. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to amplify that in just a minute. So God helps us overcome. Now, he shares something that is so beautiful and so powerful uh, that it alarms people and really uh, commentators throughout the centuries have been struck and kind of stuck here. What exactly is happening? But Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So it's important. Listen, God loves religious people. And many religious people have tremendous passion for God. It, they just have a misplaced way of seeking God. They do it through traditions. They do it through self-discipline. They do it through the measuring of their human behaviors and their own righteous standards. And so that's all misplaced. But God loves religious people. So here's the most religious guy alive. Here's the greatest Christian in history talking about his pre-conversion experience. And, and Paul said, I was the best Pharisee. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I was the best person under the law there could be. And he said, I couldn't get there. He shares these words there. They are very intense. Read them with me, please. Chapter 7, uh, verse 14. For we all know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. So every person that's ever been born, that's true. The law is spiritual. We were born under sin, carnal. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, what I want to do, what I desire to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate to do, that I do. So, so Paul said, what happens under the law is, the law almost compels me to break it. Okay. I was driving to church today, and a guy's jaywalking like 10 feet from the intersection. I'm like, you're 10 feet away from a legal way. But, you know, you got to prove you're, you're lawless. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't honk at him. I wanted to. You're supposed to say, way to go, Pastor. But, but I thought, what inside of us, what lawlessness says, I don't care what says, I'm going to do my own thing. Well, you got to be careful on 7th Street, doing your own thing, get you run over. <laughs> Amen? Get you, get you plowed over. So, so Paul is sharing about his own journey. And he said, man, I end up doing stuff I hate to do. If then, verse 16, I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. So the law is good even though my behavior can't sustain it. The, the, the law is perfect. The Mosaic law is perfect. It's holy. It's from God. It reveals God's moral, his, the, the, the moral standards of God. It, it reveals the righteousness of God. The, the only problem with the law is it couldn't make us holy. It couldn't bring us to God. There's none righteous. No, not one. No one was good enough except Christ. Verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So Paul says... 
there's something in me, a sinful nature, that drives me through sinful behavior. And even though I'm the most passionate, most fervent religious person there ever was, I can't do it because my nature keeps betraying my behavior. I want to please God, but my flesh says, no, we ain't. I want to love people. My flesh says, no, you're not. Why you want it over? So everything he longed to do in accordance with the law, he was unable to do because he wasn't yet born again. And so he tried it. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, no good thing dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I cannot find. So Paul said, my flesh is sinful and stupid. There's nothing good in it. And even though I long to please God, my mind, my soul, I want to please you. My flesh is so resistant, it stops me every time. I failed every single time. Why? Because my flesh is incapable of finding righteousness and holiness without Christ. Stay with me. Verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not. But the evil thing I don't want to do, that I end up doing. <laughs> uh, as a parent, it works like this at home. Sweetheart, don't touch that stove. It's hot. Five minutes later, ah! What happened? I touched the stove. I told you, <clears throat> our sinful nature feels compelled to resist control, to resist doing right. It's, we're, we're embedded with a rebellious nature against God in our flesh. So what the law does without Christ, it, it actually makes people want to do the things we're not, you know, it's, it's amazing. It, the opposite effect it can have without Christ. Okay, let's go on. Now, if I, uh, verse 20, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he's recognizing that there's a law at play that he can't overcome, the law of sin and death. I find in a law that is evil and present in me, the one who wills to do good. I have a good heart. I'm trying to do good, but something is stronger than my desire. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. <laughs> so, so, so Paul said, I'm the most religious person on the planet. And if I can't do it, you jokers got no chance. Okay? If I can't do it in my flesh, it's impossible to be done. Now here's what he said, in a culmination, O wretched man, verse 24, that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? The phrase body of death was used when they would put as punishment to kill someone, they would wrap a corpse to them. And the disease and decay of the corpse would eventually kill the living person. And Paul said, I'm carrying a corpse around me. Law of sin and death. It kills every good and thing I try to do. 
I'm carrying something with me. It won't allow me to live. It's impossible. Oh, wretched man. Now, now you have to get this because it's hard for good people to get there. Sinners get it. Oh, man, yeah, yeah. Thank God for forgiveness. Good people are like, I, well, I, I know. Thank God I'm not like him. What a mess. Christ shows up, Matthew 5. He said, you say, don't kill. I say every time you call someone a fool, you're killing them with your mind. See, the Pharisees said, we're keeping the letter of the law. Jesus said, you're breaking the spirit of the law. You say, don't commit adultery, one of the commandments. I say to you, when you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. Other women should be, yeah. <laughs> Preach it. So Christ took the commandments, which they were literally trying to keep. He said, you're not getting it. There's sin in you by the way you think. And you think just because you're not doing it, you're better than others. But really, you're doing it near. <laughs> David said this. Where can I go to hide from you? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. And he said this. You know my thoughts from afar. Kind of a bummer. Because he knows what's going on in your mind, even though it's not expressed yet in words or behavior. So, oh, wretched man that I am. So, so Paul said, there's no hope except the next verse. Here's the next verse. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, that's, here's why I was a wretched failure. Frustrated, angry. Con religious people are continuously miserable because they never get there. They never get to the satisfying place of joy that God gives us to righteous. They try to keep earning something they can't earn. It can only be received, not achieved. And they're frustrated and they pour their frustration in judgmental ways on others and, 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 and it, the misery of their own lives. And Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am. He said, Then Jesus came. Come on. Paul said, I was riding my high horse that Jesus knocked me on my ass, off my ass. It's in the Bible. In, in the book of Acts. Pray for me. My wife's mad at me right now. It's, it's going to go bad for me today. Paul said, I was so uppity thinking I was better than people. And one day he had to knock me down. And when I got knocked down, my eyes were opened. And I saw I was the worst of sinners. It takes good people a while to get there. But when you get there, you're finally ready for grace. You're finally ready for grace. Y'all with me still? <sighs> Chapter 8, here we go. There is therefore now Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no guilty verdict. I say to you in Jesus' name, shame off of you. Shame kills people's dreams. Shame ruins relationships. Shame spoils people's joy. Shame stops people's journey in faith. It kills faith. Shame makes you unhappy. Shame feeds depression. Shame makes you angry. And, and God doesn't want you walking around as a believer covered in shame. Shame off of you in Jesus' name. This culture has adopted shame as a tool to try to change people. But when you use shame as a weapon to change people, you're operating into witchcraft and you're on the devil's side and not God's side. Shame off of you. Yes, may God help you overcome that sin or that habit or that thing. But God doesn't condemn you in the meantime. In John 8, they brought to Christ a woman naked but covered in the sheet of idolatry. From the bed of sin, they covered her and drug her screaming to Christ. They said to him, Moses said that this woman should be stoned. What do you, what do you say? He ignored them. He's writing in the sand. He's writing in the dust of the temple. By the way, the Holy Spirit used to anoint the priest of the temple to write the names of the women men in the temple were having affairs with. They'd write it in the dust of the sand. Interesting. Wonder what he's writing. And they would not be ignored. And finally, Jesus lifted up his head and said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. He said, drop your stone and go back home. And from the oldest to the youngest, sometimes it takes a while for life to humble you enough to be merciful to others. They dropped their rocks and left. And looking around, Christ said to the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, Lord, they've all left. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Please stay with me. She hasn't lived five seconds morally yet. She doesn't have a track record of six months of sex, not, not behaving in sexual sin. She's still in the shame of that day's sin. And Jesus said, no condemnation to you. Come on. Well, pastor, are you condoning sin? That's not what this is about. Then he said, sin no more. What we say to people is, stop sinning and shame will leave. God says, I'm taking your shame away and I'll empower you to overcome that sin. If you don't get the order right, you burden people with more guilt about the thing they're having a hard time overcoming. Come on, stay with me. For the law of the spirit of life, verse 2, in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. So that third law, I was born a sinner, the law of sin. The law of Moses came and showed me my sin. The law of Moses is perfect, but it didn't give me perfect righteousness. It exposed my sin. And I was in Paul said I was in a prison. My flesh could not keep it. But then 
the third law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. When Jesus came, he made me new. He healed my mind. He put his righteousness in me. He filled me with holiness. He filled me with joy. He filled me with boldness. And the guy who killed people, who, who destroyed families, who imprisoned innocent people, he was a murderer as a Pharisee. He was filled with a rage against believers. That guy said, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. A person that could have lived his entire life realizing what he had done, it gripped by that shame. God freed him from it. If God could free the murderer Paul, he could free you. If God could free the self-righteous Pharisee Paul, he can free you. Shame is a lie. Shame will destroy your kingdom identity if you don't conquer it. Religion makes people sin conscious. Grace makes people righteousness conscious. <laughs> Thank you, God. I am who you say I am. That's the truth of your promises. Your word, your spirit, your life in me. Next verse, verse 4. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The law is perfect, but my flesh was weak, incapable of sustaining the perfect, perfect, the perfect demands of the law. The law couldn't do it. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus did it. Amen. 33 and a half years, not one sin. Come on. I'm shooting for 33 and a half minutes without a sin. That's my goal this year. He goes, 33 and a half years, no sin. Now, he was born without his sinful nature, but still he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. So you can't be tempted if sin is not possible. This bothers some theologians because oh, he couldn't sin. He was God. No, he could have. He was tempted. You with me? I'm fine. I'm full. She, the waitress brings the dessert tray. I'm tempted. You with me? I'm going to make a choice. Cheesecake, no cheesecake. Couple extra pounds, no extra pounds. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a temptation comes, we make a choice. Christ is tempted, did not sin. Come on. He, when he did that, he crushed sin. Uh, next verse. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So here's what he said. You can't approach your walk with God based on your religious duties, your religious obs observance, your fleshly behaviors. The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we, when we walk in the Spirit, we're identifying with everything God's done for us in Christ. Amen? I'm going to talk about this, kind of amplify it here. For those who live according to the flesh, verse 5, Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those that live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Bingo. Come on. When I got saved, the Spirit of life came into me. I received in my spirit perfect, sinless righteousness. God made my spirit innocent as if I've never sinned. Justified. Spirit. I still have a soul, mind, will, and emotion. 
Now, my, my soul has to come into alignment with my spirit for me to overcome my flesh. So, the, the, the flesh is stupid. It is carnal. It is, it is enmity with God. It is at war with God. It, but, so, my soul, by choosing the flesh or choosing the spirit, decides which side wins. When I renew my mind with God's word, I conquer the sinful passions of my flesh. The new nature rises up. But if you don't renew your mind, you'll never receive the full potential of all that God's given you in Christ through righteousness, through grace, and through victory, through God's word. You, you have to change. You'll only experience the kingdom of God to the degree that you renew your mind. So, so that means we want to get in agreement with God about who we are, what he has for us. Next verse. For to be carnally, fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Me likey. Mikey likey. Life and peace. I don't, you know, the, the culture out there doesn't have either one of those. So, so the flesh is not just opposed to God, it's that enmity. <clears throat> Traveling the world, uh, the, the United States is like a baby nation. Their nation's thousands of years old. And you, so I'll, I'll go to places and they'll, they'll talk about like this thousand year war between this other nation. And, and, and it's such a deep enmity you, that people hate people from that nation. And I'll ask him, why? Well, it goes back a thousand years ago. That's holding a grudge. That's a kind of DNA past enmity. And there's a deep hostility to God in my flesh. The more secular a culture becomes, the more it rages against God. Because it's in the fleshly nature. And so, so he said this, my, my, my carnal mind is, brings me to death, but my spiritual mind. Someone asked me this week, hey, Patrick, did you hear about this scandal? Did you hear about this? What do you think about it? I said, I don't think about it. Well, I would. I'm not a counselor. If they asked me to help them or counsel them to bring work, I would. I don't want to, I'm not going to involve myself in stuff God's not assigned me to. Well, shouldn't you call out sin? I, I, I'm trying to call out my own sin. I worry about five other preachers. You kidding me? God help them all. Well, we, we need to hold people accountable. Of course we do. But you don't hold people accountable by raging against them on social media. Okay. Satan's the tempter. He's the deceiver, and he's the accuser. The accuser of the brethren has been cast down. He that accused them before our God day and night. He's been cast down. And they, the church, overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to the death. Satan is an accuser. That idea comes from, in fact, it's kind of the root of the name of Satan. It means to prosecute, to accuse. So Satan, the prosecutor, is trying to prosecute people's souls. And Jesus, our defense attorney, says, excuse me, judge. 
my blood is paid for. Michael made the sin. Tell the prosecutor to shut up and sit down. You have to become an expert about defeating the accuser. He'll accuse you about little things, big things, things you've not done, things you could have done. He'll, he'll accuse you. He'll haunt you your whole life with remorse, regret, with guilt, with shame, with con. You have to beat him into the ground. And you have to walk with your head held up high. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of God. Yeah, that, that was my past. It's under the blood. Satan, you can't touch it. Come on. Can't touch us. Dun, 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 dun. Look it up. So God wants us to be people that win the battle in our mind. Amen? What does that mean? I became clinically, manically suicidal depressed for two and a half years when I did a forensic of my depression. I, I believe that the main, I became hopeless, but the main fuel for my depression was shame. And shame was hatred toward turned inward. I hated myself for making mistakes. Now, here's the problem. I made a list. I checked it twice. Everyone was naughty. No one was nice. I forgave people. And the Lord said, you forgot a name. I said, who is it, Lord? He said, you. How dare you act as if I can't forgive you when I already have. If I've forgiven you, you better forgive yourself. Come on. Husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. The problem is, if a man hates himself, it can be hard to love his wife. So, so God wants to, man, man I, I, I've been through 500 sermons where the, whole, when the, the, the purpose of it was, you need to hate yourself. Okay. That's how we become holy. We hate ourselves. For decades of time, I couldn't receive a compliment. Shame wouldn't let me. I couldn't. I'd stop people mid-sentence. In public meetings, I'd stop them. And then the Lord started talking to me, how come people can't compliment you? Well, well, I want you to get all the glory. No, 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 that's your excuse for being unhealthy and living in shame. And whatever a compliment shows up, you're so accustomed to shame, you kick it out. Ah. Come on, I got so shame-ridden, I wrote a country western album. It's just for Candace there. <laughs> God helps us win the battle. No, it's not shame on you, it's shame off of you. This is your season to crush the devil, to win the battle in your mind, to defeat every condemning voice, every accusing voice. Shame has no power over you. The devil is a liar. I don't care what you've done. If it's under the blood, it's gone, it's forgiven, it's pardoned, it's, it's forgotten, and it's time for you to rise up as a child of God, guilt-free, shame-free, condemnation-free. You're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. You can do all things through Christ Jesus. You have been forgiven by God himself. Don't let the devil trick you into a trap, a feeling like you have to be humble enough to be shame-filled. No, no, be humble enough to be bold 
bold in Christ, to be bold in your faith, to be bold in righteousness. Give God the glory, but walk in victory. Don't let the devil steal your joy through shame. Don't let the devil steal your identity through shame. Don't let the devil rob your dream through shame. Don't let the devil take anything that God would give you. He's a liar, and you're going to beat that lie this year. In the mighty name of Jesus, shame off of you in Jesus' name. Come on, stand your feet and give God praise. Someone shout hallelujah. Prayer team, if you join me down front, please. This is the turning around year. This is the year when you win great victories. Not just out there, but in here. In here. God's going to help you. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. The most important thing in life is what you believe about Jesus Christ. The entirety of your eternity hinges on who you say Jesus is. If you've never received him, we read it. Let me quote it again. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. If you've never received the gift of God, the grace of Christ, forgiving all your sins, filling you with a right standing with God, man, today's your day. If you've been away from God, today's your homecoming day. If you're facing a battle that's trying to overcome you, your heart, your mind, your life, your family, your marriage, your kids. I prayed for someone this morning, unbelievable hard, hard thing happened in their family. That's why we're here to pray for each other. If you're going through some real hardships, we're going to stand with you and pray with you. If you need a healing in your body, we love to pray for people that need healing because we believe that God's a healer. If you need prayer for those reasons or any reason, would you come join us? Church, just for 90 seconds longer, would you worship God while those seeking prayer come forward? So you won't climb up coming after me. There's no Challenge. Somebody tell Teen Challenge you love them. Listen, there's a man here for Teen Challenge. Two people have died in your family because of addiction. One of them, like cirrhosis of the liver, another through another issue. You're the curse breaker. God told me to tell you today, a year from now, every curse of addiction in your family is going to end. God's going to stop it all. He's going to stop it all. If that's you, let us pray for you. There's no shadow, come on. There's no, no shadow, shadow, you won't light up. Mountain. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming after me. There's no wall, you won't kick down. There's no
praying for the next hour in this church. If you need to go, have a wonderful day. God bless you. Tell someone around you, Jesus loves you like crazy. Have a wonderful week. There's no shame.